All right. Uh, good evening, good evening, good evening. It's uh, that time again, discipleship class number three. And I'll start with the, uh, with the title slide tonight. We'll do a little bit of review. We're still waiting on some folks to join us in the room. Um, but it's a, to be honest with you, it's an ambitious title tonight. Um, hopefully we'll get to this. But New Birth Realities Becoming Outward Expressions of Life. That's what we're going to try to uh, focus on tonight, but there are some uh, other things that we need to uh, discuss, carry over from last week, and uh, kind of set the stage, if you will, um, for uh, this particular class. So let's see if we can get over here a uh, camera for the online folks. Welcome to all our folks online. I keep hearing uh, good reports uh, from you folks. I appreciate the feedback. Um, means uh, a lot uh, to me to know that you're there. And um, I've already heard there's some folks that normally would be in the room tonight but are, are watching online. So welcome. We miss you being here present, but thank you for your uh, diligence uh, where that is uh, concerned. So let's, um, let's pray, and, and we'll do a little bit of review and then get into what we're going to be looking at tonight. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you, Father, for the things that you have planned and prepared for us. Lord, every day in a book before we ever lived a single one, a single day of our lives, Father, and so certainly uh, I believe you had this day uh, written down and, and maybe even circled, Father, because it's an important day. It's a day, Father, where your truth is going to continue to separate us, Lord, from uh, this world and old patterns of thinking and living and speaking, Lord, to new patterns of living and, and, and speaking and thinking and doing. And so we bless you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We acknowledge him as our teacher tonight, Father. I know that uh, it's been a kind of a, a busy day, hustle and bustle uh, on a Wednesday. Father started early for a lot of us, but um, Lord, I thank you for helping us just kind of settle in tonight and hear and receive from you. Lord, open hearts, ready to receive by faith in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. All right, so on uh, last week we said that uh, discipleship is an uncommon commitment, and we're looking at alongside some of the more spiritual, biblical-type explanations of discipleship, also some of these practical things uh, about uh, discipleship as well. Um, if we get there tonight, we'll talk a little bit about discipleship as an attitude, for example. And one of the key differences between someone who is a disciple and someone who is not a disciple is the attitude of um, their heart. But in the process of, of looking at discipleship as an uncommon commitment, we identified these different groups of people that Jesus encountered along the way during his earthly ministry. And we've identified them as believers, followers, disciples, and then finally Christians. And the Bible says that they were first called Christians in Antioch. And we said that was very unique because this was um, the first time a group of people had gone from you know, salvation, experience and receiving the new birth all the way through to Jesus being assimilated in them. And so we're not going to go back and review all those uh, Greek words, but remember, uh, manthano is the root word in the Greek language for disciple and discipleship, and it means to put forth an intense effort to learn by experience. We said it correlates with, uh, corresponds to didasko in the Greek, which again is uh, not just teaching, but teaching for the purpose of making those being taught similar to oneself. And so uh, we see that Jesus uh, wasn't just teaching to impress people with what he knew, but he was looking for men and women who would make the uncommon commitment of discipleship so that he could literally pour himself into them 
and make them similar to himself. Luke 6.40 says a disciple's not above his master, but if he's perfectly trained by his master, he will be just like his master. And that, to me, captures the essence and heart of, of what God is trying to accomplish in our lives through this process known as discipleship. And so that requires an, an uncommon commitment on our part. And, you know, we've committed ourselves to a lot of things in life, uh, some healthy things, some unhealthy things. And certainly there's a lot of resistance around the discipleship commitment. Um, and, and I just applaud you uh, for a willingness uh, to make it. Um, let's look real quick at our, uh, at our key verse. Um, and it, it says that, um, well, I went the wrong direction. I apologize. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In some of the later classes, classes still to come, we'll go into great detail about spirit, soul, and body. But remember, God is, a, is, is, is spirit, and you are a spirit being. And when you were born again, it was your spirit that was born again. And when the Bible says these seemingly outlandish things that God put his kingdom in you, okay, it's like, how does a kingdom fit in me, right? Well, it doesn't fit in your flesh. It fits in your spirit. And your spirit, of course, is in um, your physical body. So don't freak out over any of that. But when he, when he says, come and I'll give, he's talking about what he does in you through the new birth. But then we see, and that's, of course, referring to salvation. But then he says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest. So we said the pattern was what? Come and I'll give, learn and you'll find. Come and I'll give, learn and you will find. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and this is a place, because of its importance in Scripture, this is a place, and I hate to use this expression, but I, I don't really have a better one. It's a place where we could get bogged down. And what I mean by bogged down is we could spend weeks here, and, and, and there is literally weeks worth of teaching and learning um, from you know, this particular parable that uh, Jesus uh, taught us, taught the people originally, but preserved and made sure that you and I uh, had a copy of it for our generation and for our uh, blessing and benefit. Now, a couple of words ab about parables. Um, think comparable. And Jesus came to this earth to teach us about his father's ways, the, the ways of God, the ways in uh, the wisdom of God, the way God does things, the way God thinks, God's perspective on things. And in order to do that, he, um, more times than not, he would use something in our world that we could relate to so that he could then tell us something from his world. So he would find something to compare, something we could relate to, something we could connect with. But here's the unique thing about a parable. A parable brings God's wisdom close and slows it down. But things that are spirit in nature and things that are physical in nature are, are not compatible. They're not the same thing. Do you understand, do you understand what I mean by something being uh, you know, compatible? Um, uh, I, I think of like uh, a PC versus uh, a Mac uh, uh, Book Pro or something like that. They have different operating systems. Now, obviously, as 
as years have progressed, they've established ways for those things to those machines to work better with one another. But they're still they're not 100% compatible. And so here is if you could if you could visualize uh, God's kingdom as a boat, and um, you and I we're we're uh, we're on a dock. And I like to call the dock, the dock on the island where nothing ever changes, okay? And if we're going to get off the island where nothing ever changes, we got to get on the boat, right, of, of God's wisdom and, and, and God's ways. And so when Jesus would tell a parable, stay with me now, I know this may be one of the more bizarre <laughs> illustrations, okay? But when Jesus tells a parable, he's bringing the boat as close as he can bring it and he's slowing it down as much as he can slow it down, Right? But if you're going to get off the island where nothing ever changes and into the boat of God's wisdom and ways of doing things, you're going to have to make a jump for it. You've got to leap for it, right? A leap of faith. And so faith is how we bridge from, you know, things in the spirit realm and bring those things from the realm of the spirit into the realm of the physical, into the realm of the natural. Now, this particular parable is known as the parable of the sower, S-O-W-E-R. And he's talking about a farmer planting seed. And this was an agricultural society, an agricultural world, and this was something that people obviously could relate to and could understand. Now, this parable is a master key parable. And what I mean by that is Jesus himself said, not in this version, in Mark's version, we're going to look at Matthew's version, but in Mark's version, Jesus said, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all the others? So there's understanding that we need in this particular parable that will help us in unlocking and understanding the wisdom in all the other parables that, uh, that Jesus delivered. And I believe, don't quote me on this and don't take the time to counter right now, but I believe in the 13th chapter of Matthew alone, there's seven parables. <laughs> so Jesus uh, delivered a lot of parables and a lot of understanding in those parables that we desperately need for our lives, with this one being a master key that will help us unlock all of the others. Okay, now I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with this parable. I'm going to ask you to kind of open up your heart and hear it new for the first time again. In other words, don't don't bring any preconceived ideas and notions with you into the hearing of it this time. And let's see if the Holy Spirit can't unlock some uh, greater understanding and and more depth of meaning. Uh, to what it is that Jesus is wanting to say to us here. Now, all of this, obviously, and, and we'll make the tie-in as we work our way through it, all of this uh, is very, very important in how it relates to discipleship as an uncommon commitment and um, the inward realities of our new birth experience becoming these outward expressions of life. Okay, So, let's jump in here, verse uh, number 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Now, we don't necessarily use the word behold. We might say, check it out. So when we find this word behold, like 1 John 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. He's saying, slow down for a minute and think about these things. Slow down for a minute and, and consider uh, these things. It's kind of like when you read uh, Selah in S-E-L-A-H in, in, in the uh, Old Testament Psalms, what have you. He's saying, you know, pause and think. Pause and consider. So he says, behold, let's think about this now. 
a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground. Somebody say good ground. Others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. But he who has ears to, ear, ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Now, we know that the, the disciples were a part of Jesus' inner circle. And as members of the inner circle, Jesus shared things with them that he did not share with large crowds of people. And they asked this question, why do you speak to them in parables? Why do you tell them these simple stories about a man planting seed or a woman who lost a coin or a man who had two sons and you know, the, uh, the guy who owned a store? You know, why, why are you telling them these stories? In other words, I think they were like, look, Jesus, tell them some of that good stuff that you were telling us. You know, Get to that heavier stuff, that, that, that weightier stuff. Okay. So he says, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now, how many of you would agree, even if you don't understand what in the world Jesus is talking about here, that you want to be one of the ones who has? You know what I'm saying? Because the one who has, more will be given to that individual. But to the one who has not, even what he has, Jesus said, um, will be taken from him. So verse 13, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because they do not see, because seeing, I'm sorry, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Let's talk just for a moment about uh, the hearts of this people have grown dull. So when the Bible says that Jesus came to give sight to the blind, certainly we know that he healed a lot of people who were physically blind, even one that we know of that was born blind. And I agree 100% with that. But there is another uh, type of blindness that Jesus also came to, to correct, okay? And that is a blindness of the heart where, where we can only see with our physical sense of sight, hear with our physical sense of hearing, understand with our intellect and our meat computer, but not see with our heart, not, not hear with that inner man or woman, and certainly not understand with that inner part. And so he says the hearts of this people have grown dull. A couple of ways to, to look at that. Uh, a knife that uh, has uh, grown dull. Uh, if, if you've ever used a chainsaw, you know that you can't let the chainsaw blade touch the dirt because it touches the dirt, it'll, it'll dull it. 
Why is that? It's because a chainsaw wasn't designed to dig holes. It was designed to cut trees. Okay? And, and so um, when our hearts are exposed to things that they were never meant to be exposed to, it, it dulls them. One um, translation says the hearts of this people have waxed gross. Okay, you think, waxed gross? What in the world? Just, ooh, you know. No, he doesn't mean gross like yucky gross. He's talking about uh, something that has built up over time. Um, I had a, a friend that, that worked with uh, Bobby Allison back in, in his uh, NASCAR heyday. If you don't know, he's from right here. The Allison family is from right here in, in Hueytown. And he said the last thing they would do before uh, race day is that they would all stand around, the crew would all stand around the race car, uh, and everybody had their own wax, and they would sit there and wax and wax and wax their little area. Everybody was assigned to area. Uh, and they were trying to get as, as many layers of wax built up on that car as possible. Why? So it would slip through the air and, you know, to the best of its ability. So when he's talking about something waxing gross or waxing dull, he's talking about something that, that you know, it's a buildup over time. So he says that things have built up on people's hearts so that they cannot see uh, with their spiritual eyes or hear with their spiritual ears or understand uh, spiritual truth. Let me give you one more. Um, and, and that's the concept of a callus uh, on your hand. And, and the idea behind a callus on, the, on your hand is that it's a, it's a place where a shovel or uh, an axe or some other tool has rubbed back and forth on it over an extended period of time, and maybe it started out as a, as a blister or a sore spot, but to protect the, the nerve endings, your body responded by uh, thickening the skin in that area. And, and, and so that's uh, the concept of a callus. And so we even see that where the other places in the Bible this condition Jesus is referring to here is referred to as a calloused heart. And so maybe you've heard that, you know, somebody who's hard-hearted, you know, there, there we go again, another application. Or someone who's so calloused, you know, towards uh, become numb to the suffering of others or the, or the needs of others. So this is the condition that Jesus is diagnosing. And what Jesus is saying here is that because people's hearts, you know, things have rubbed on our hearts that have no business being in our hearts in the first place, much less rubbing our hearts in a, and, and hardening our hearts. In Hebrews 4, there's a lot that's said there by the writer of Hebrews. And he says, today, if you'll hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts by ignoring him. So when God speaks to you and deals with you, and we don't respond to what it is that he's, he's dealing with us about in our lives, it's not that he washes his hands of us, far from it. His mercy is made new every morning and endures to all generations. But, you know, the more we tell God no, the easier it becomes to tell him no. The more we resist God, the easier it becomes to resist Him the next time. And again, this is this concept of the heart growing dull. We don't want dull hearts. We want hearts that are sharp, right? We, you know, we even say that in, you know, man, she's, she's, she's sharp, buddy. You know, and, and that could mean a lot of things, you know, that she's skilled, that she's talented, that you know, how she carries herself, what have you. So you know, sharp, dull, uh, calloused, hardened versus sensitive, uh, and soft, you know, in, in God's hands. So he says that he speaks to the, to the multitudes in parables because their hearts are hardened. 
And so what is God trying to do? He's trying to soften their hearts. He's trying to, to, to get their hearts ready and prepared to hear and receive what it is that he has come to say to them. Now he says, but blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. This word blessed, and it's, it's one of the, um, uh, sadly, it's, it's, it's one of the words that um, has, has been so watered down, you know, amongst God's people um, welcome, guys. Sorry I didn't wait on y'all, but amen. We'll, thank you for being here. Um, and if communication, um, you know, I know we've got some changes coming in the schedule, and I've already mentioned this to our online group. Uh, we'll let you know. We'll post it ahead of time if we need to start, you know, 15 minutes uh, earlier, later or whatever uh, to accommodate some of the folks that are really committed to the class, but just their work schedules and things of that nature, preventing them to be here when it starts. So we... we we uh, are going to be as flexible as we can possibly be to, to accommodate um, uh, you guys. So we're in Matthew 13. We've kind of worked our way through um, the first 15 verses of that. We haven't gotten to the part about explaining the parable, and, uh, and so I'm glad you, you're going to be here um, for that. But this word blessed, you know, a lot of times we think we say the blessing over the food, or if somebody sneezes, we say bless you. But we see all the way in Genesis 1 when God created Adam, the Bible says he blessed him. Okay? And, and so to, to be blessed means to be empowered by God. We, we sing a song here at Heritage called Empowered to Prosper. And that comes from one of the biblical definitions for the word uh, blessed. So there's a lot of teaching. We'll get to some of that in, in later classes. But a lot of times we say uh, things like, um, you know, we, we refer it, how do I say this? <clears throat> I'm not blessed because I'm healed, I'm healed because I'm blessed. I'm not, pro, I'm not blessed because I'm prosperous, I'm prosperous because I'm blessed. See, God, God wants to put His blessing upon you. The Bible says sin brought a curse on us. Jesus crawled under that curse with you, lifted it off of you, and carried it away so that the blessing of Abraham could now rest upon your life. So that, so that God's supernatural favor and empowerment will be upon you, uh, empowering you to prosper in life. Not just financially, in every area um, of life. So when He says, "...but blessed are your eyes for they see, and your ears for they hear." He's saying that the blessing of God was upon them, empowering them to see things that other people could not see, to hear and understand things that other people could not hear and understand. Now, I'm going to give you verses 10 through 15 from the message translation. And in my humble opinion, this is one of those portions of the message translation that's worth the price of admission. It, it, it makes these verses come so alive and makes so much sense, okay? So from the message translation, we're going to start at verse number 10 where, where they ask about the parables. And he says, The disciples came up and asked, Why do you tell stories? He replied, You've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everybody has this gift, this insight. It hasn't been given to them. Okay? Now, the Bible says that a man can receive nothing unless he receives it from God. Okay? I understand that, you know, there is effort required and an uncommon commitment required where discipleship is concerned. But the emphasis here is that this was something that these men and women had been given that had not yet been given to other people. Now, never think of God as being unfair. 
it's this idea, well, he's playing favorites in that he, he gave one group something that he didn't give to everybody else. No, if he, if he gave it to one, he wants to give it to all. He wants to give it to you. But there was something that, that these folks possessed that enabled God to give this insight to them that others did not yet possess that prevented him from being able to give it to them. And so stay tuned here, okay? So verse 12 he says, whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories to create readiness, to nudge the people toward receptive insight. In their present state, they can stare at a doomsday and not see it, listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. All right, now, if... if you're losing track. Let's go back, okay? When he, when he said, um, uh, verse 12, whoever has to him more will be given and he will have abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him, okay? So what is it that, that one group had that the other did not? And, and according to the message translation, a ready heart, readiness of heart, they were ready to hear and receive the, the truth and wisdom and insight that Jesus came to give to them. Somebody might ask, well, you know, Pastor Mark, is it really that simple? It really is. It really is. A ready heart for this. Now listen, listen to what he says. I don't want Isaiah's forecast repeated all over again. Your ears are open, but they don't hear a thing. Your eyes are awake, but they don't see a thing. The people are blockheads. They stick their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look. So they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. Now, the unique thing about, and we see this explained in John, the third chapter, where Jesus meets with Nicodemus, and we have some of the greatest uh, revelation, things revealed to us about salvation as we find anywhere in the Scriptures. But one of the things that, that we see is that when we're in darkness and need the light, the tendency is to not go towards the light, but to go deeper into the darkness, right? Right? Because Jesus said when we're in darkness, in order to come to the light, we must be willing to have our deeds exposed. And we try to hide our junk, right? We, we try to hide our, our issues. We don't want them to be exposed. And so there's this um, resistance that we talk about a lot uh, in coming to the light. But if someone is in darkness... What is the one thing that they need to do more than anything else? They need to come to the light. So someone who has a ready heart is someone who is willing to come to the light. They're, they're willing to, to come and, and, and deal with Jesus face to face and let Jesus heal them. Do you see how this relates to what we see Jesus saying just a few chapters earlier, a couple chapters earlier? Come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Right. Well, a lot of those burdens that we carry and a lot of the baggage that accumulates in our lives and in our hearts over time are from living in darkness. So he says, come and I'll give. Then, of course, learn and you will find. Now, <clears throat> this part is so important. This part is so important. I want to just take a minute or two here. And I've already kind of given the 
um, <laughs> you know, fair warning that it's easy to get bogged down here because the Bible has so much to say about this. But um, I put this in my notes. This part is so important to everything else. We need to drop anchor here for a minute. Okay, so let's drop anchor here for a minute. I want to show you, um, first of all, a related passage from Luke. And this is Luke chapter 24 and verse number 45. Luke 24, 45, it says this, And he, and the he here is Jesus, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Here's the same verse from the Passion Translation. Okay. He supernaturally unlocked their understanding to receive the revelation of the Scriptures. Supernaturally unlocked their understanding to receive the revelation of the Scriptures. Now, when we talk about something being revelation, that's when you see something now that you were blinded to in the past. And your eyes are open to um, some you know, truth, some wisdom, you know, uh, some understanding uh, from God's perspective, from God's world, from God's side. Uh, and now all of a sudden, it's, you know, we can call it a light bulb moment. Um, you know, I, one of my favorite uh, evangelists is Jesse Duplantis, and he, he used the expression, it went off in me like a shotgun. You know, it's like, pow, it's like, a lot of times you have those experiences, you, you kind of, you know, are almost dazed by it, and, and, and it's like, you know, where have I been my whole life? How have I lived this long and not seen this? And these are gifts, by the way. These are things that, that, that God gives to, to people. And notice it's, it's important to realize that Jesus, when He unlocked their understanding, He's talking about a specific group of people. This was not something that was given to every person, but it was something that was given to a very specific and unique, unique group of people. Now, again, there's this idea that, well, you know, God's, that's not fair. Why would he show it to one person and not another? Well, I'm going to show you some more verses about that. I don't have this one right here in my notes, but let me give you this one, okay? Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. If you're going to memorize one Bible verse this week and you have not yet memorized Hebrews 11, 6, I would recommend it, okay? Because what we see in Hebrews 11 verse 6 is, first of all, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. You cannot please God without faith, okay? And then he goes on to say, he that comes to God must believe. And he's going to give you two things. First of all, he who comes to God must believe that God is must believe that God is, and must believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Must believe that He is. That's, that's almost kind of, I don't say a no-brainer, but, you, you know, I mean, you got to at least have some suspicions that there is a God to start calling out to Him, right? So you must believe that He is, and you must believe that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Think, think about what it says, uh, think about what number one on that list says about number two. That, that second, only to believing that, that God is, is believing that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So if, if you see a brother who's, who's being rewarded by God, and, and you think, man, you know, it's not fair, God's rewarding him more than he's rewarding. Well, 
you know, perhaps that brother is being more diligent in their seeking of God than, than, than you have or others have been. In other words, don't ever accuse God of not being fair. God is a just God. But he's also a God who says, I will do things for those who, how about this one? I will honor those who honor me. See, we, we like to believe that God honors everybody the same. He loves everybody the same, but he honors those who honor him. And, and so God honoring those who honor him, there are certain things in people's lives that, that God can't endorse. <laughs> you know, if, if, if God just kept on blessing somebody who was, you know, uh, waving the middle finger of their life in his face, that, notice how dangerous that would be for that person. It's like, well, you know, God keeps on blessing me, so I must be right. No. So God honors those who honor him. And we honor God, right, by giving him the place that he deserves in our lives. A disciple is one who gives God place that others aren't willing to give him, okay? And, and it's someone who, who recognizes the value and the worth of God, recognizes the value and the, and the worth of God's word and God's truth and God's wisdom. I mentioned one of my favorite evangelists. Let me mention one of my favorite Bible teachers, this Brother Keith Moore. And he was, you know raised in rural Mississippi and, and um, didn't have much growing up and, and um, you know, just kind of like a, a lot of country boys, you know, love to hunt and fish and drive fast cars and, and, you know, but God started dealing with him. And, and, and he asked the Lord, you know, many years later, he has an international ministry, um, you know, pastors two very large churches, goes all over the world preaching the gospel. The Lord asked him one time, he said, Lord, why did you show me these things? And he said, the answer came very quick and very simple. He said, I showed you these things because I knew you would appreciate them. I knew that you would value them. I knew that, that you would, you know, take them and do something with them. So when we see that God's supernaturally unlocking people's um, understanding, remember discipleship is an attitude. Do you see how critical our attitude towards these things uh, is when it comes to God entrusting these things into our care. Let me say it another way, and I said this recently on a few weeks back on a Sunday here at Heritage. God doesn't tell everybody His secrets. And I hope you don't tell everybody yours. But I hope that you have people in your life that you trust enough that you can share things with them that you are not comfortable sharing with other people. If you can understand that, that's almost a parable parable-like in and of itself. It, it, it may not be an exact you know, relationship to what I'm trying to say, but it'll get you close enough to at least uh, make sense of it. All right. Now, let's go. This one right here to me um, is, is phenomenal. Mark chapter 4 and verse number 24 and 25. Mark 4, 24 and 25. Then he said to them, Take heed what you hear, with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. See, there's that principle again. 25, for whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. Now, I don't know if we're going to get there in the Wednesday evening sermon tonight, but one of the things that we're going to look at and talk about either tonight or next Wednesday, if Lord willing, Lord lead, you know, when I say willing, he's willing, it's just timing of these things, okay? But let me mention it here because when it says that these things will be taken away from him, he's not talking about God taking it away. He's talking about the thief stealing it. The thief stealing it. 
you know, meanwhile, back at the ranch, right, we're, we're in Matthew 13, parable of the sower, and we see that the seed that landed on the hard ground, the birds came and stole it. The birds came and, and, and took it away, right? So when he says even what he has will be taken away from him, he's not talking about God snatching it back from you. The Bible is very clear. The gifts of God are without repentance. They're irrevocable. God will never take back from you anything that He gives you. Now, the devil may steal from you the experience of, of, of you know, and the benefit and blessing of that gift in your life. Uh, the Bible uses the expression spoil, like the spoils of war. Cheat, you may be cheated of experiencing, enjoying, and expressing these things. But when God gives you, let's use righteousness as an example. When God gives you the gift of righteousness, He's not ever going to take it back, even if you never outwardly express it in, in your daily life. So is, are there benefits to living righteously? Man, you better know there are, okay? Only problem is we couldn't do it without God. So He made us righteous, gave us the gift of righteousness, now, come and I'll give, learn and you'll find. He'll teach you how to live a righteous life so that you can, pardon the expression, cash in, take advantage of all the benefits, right? How about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, right? So when we pray from a, a position of righteousness, our prayers get a lot accomplished. Amen. All right. So whoever has to him more will be given, but whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away. Now, I'm going to give you this uh, verse in the Passion Translation and then again in the Amplified. A few things I want to emphasize there and then we'll get back to the parable of the sower. Y'all still with me? Everybody good? Amen. Now, um, man, <coughs> Father, help us, right? Because what I'm about to show you can be life-changing. Um, I... Uh, It was a glorious day in my life when I found out there were things that I could do to Im improve. I'm talking about from the Word of God, that there were things that I could do that would make a difference in, in my life reality, in the quality of life that I experienced and enjoyed. When, when I found out that, um, you know, give, uh, he who gives sparingly will reap sparingly, but he who gives bountifully will reap bountifully. So, you know, when I, it's like somebody explained to me that, you know, there are actually things that I can do by faith in response to God's word, God's principles, God's uh, wisdom ways that would make a difference in my life. That was a happy day for me. And as I begin to preach and teach those things to, uh, you know, God's people, I was shocked that there were folks who did not hear that message as good news. It, it absolutely, and to this day, I mean, I, I, I don't understand it from the, from the perspective of, I get it, but I understand it from the perspective of, okay, I know why you're thinking like that. It's the attitude of, of a person's heart, right? And so, see, a lot of folks are just looking for some version of, of, of God-like religion uh, so-called godly religion that will give them an excuse. Give them somebody to blame. Blame God. Blame the devil. It's God's fault. It's the devil's fault. It's God working together with the devil's fault. But it ain't my fault, you know. But we know that the Bible does, right? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. 
Whatever a man sows, that he'll also reap. And God put that principle in place for our provision, for our prosperity. Amen. All right. So with that said, let, let's, let's, let's learn from the Passion Translation, Mark 4, 24 and 25. Then he said to them, be diligent to understand the meaning behind everything you hear. For as you do, more understanding will be given to you. And according to the depth of your longing to understand, much more will be added to you. For those who listen with open hearts will receive more revelation. But those who don't listen with open hearts will lose what little they think they have. I know you probably got it the first time. But he's saying a diligence on our part to understand everything you hear from the Word of God. A diligence to understand it. Okay? And notice, for as you do, more understanding will be given to you. And according to the depth of your longing to understand. Can I, can I tell you why I believe you're here tonight? I believe you're here tonight because you long to understand. I believe you're here tonight, not just because it's the, you know, it's a new season of discipleship class and let's all jump on the discipleship bandwagon and, you know, woohoo, you know, other t-shirts we can buy, you know, that kind of thing. But it's, it's because somewhere inside of you, you know there's more than what you've experienced in life. You know there's more to living for God than what you've uh, experienced and, and accomplished for God up to this point in your life. And, and there's a longing in you to understand what you don't understand and haven't understood up until this point in your life, right? And so notice he says, the depth of your longing to understand, according to that, much more will be added to you. So the more you long for it, the more diligent you are to, to understand the meaning behind everything you hear, the more uh, will be given to you. There's a, there's a place, and, and I think we'll get there in a few minutes, but let me just mention it now. It keeps popping up in my spirit. There's a place where Jesus preached a sermon that a whole bunch of people did not understand, and they left Jesus. They said, well, this, is too, this is a hard saying. We, we can't handle this. This is ridiculous, okay? And so later that evening, he asked his disciples, he says, are you leaving me too? And Peter says, where else would we go? You have the words of life. We're, you know, we can't hear anywhere else what we're hearing from you, Jesus, Okay. But here's the thing, and I want you to see the attitude. They're longing to understand. Okay? They did not know what that sermon meant that, that afternoon either. But notice one group did not want to make the commitment necessary to understand it. They, they didn't want to go that extra mile that we talk about sometimes. right? They didn't want to do the, the extra. They were like, no, nah, this, is, this just isn't worth it anymore. So who had it explained to them? The ones who long to understand it and who were willing to make the uncommon commitment necessary to understand uh, the, 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 the truth behind, the meaning behind all of these things. Same verse, Mark 4, 24, not just 24, from the Amplified. And he said to them, be careful what you are hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides will be given to you who hear. Now, this is what my, 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 my prayer, my expectation, okay, uh, is for you, that you're already experiencing these verses at work in your life. 
that that you've gotten outside of your comfort zone. You've you know hour and forty five minute class. You, you know some of you haven't even had supper yet. You know, all this other stuff, right? But you, you've you've gotten out. So notice now, the, the measure of thought and study you give. See, th- this is and I. I keep being pulled in this direction. Maybe I ran through some of that too quick while ago about a glorious day. Do you realize that there are certain things that Father allows you to set your own limit concerning? Okay. How about this? Would you like to guess who decides how much mercy, how much mercy you're given on a daily basis? You decide. You decide. The measure of mercy that you extend to other people becomes the measure God uses to give mercy back to you. Think about that for a minute. See, There's all kinds of things like this. Um, we, we see uh, a, a woman in the Old Testament that um, the, God sent the prophet to her to, 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 to help her. her. She, her husband was a like a apprentice prophet if you will and he died and he left his wife in a bunch of debt and in those days they didn't just say well file chapter 11 or whatever they came and sold you and your children and all the stuff to get their to get their debt right and so the prophet comes and he tells her he says here's your answer he says um go what do you have right um and uh and she had a little bit of oil in a jar and he says um you know Go and borrow vessels. And this is all he said. He said, and borrow not a few. He didn't say go borrow five or seven or 15 or 50. He just said borrow not a few. Well, if you know how the story goes, her and her children, they went you know, knocking on everybody's doors, whatever, borrowing every kind of pot, pan, Tupperware bowl, butter bowl, whatever they could find, brought them into their house. And, and, and the prophet says, okay, is this, is this it? Yep, okay, so close the door, close the door. And, and they took that little jar of oil and they filled up every pot, pan, bucket that, was went, that they had went and, and secured, borrowed, okay? And when the last one was filled to the top, the jar was empty. Now, why am I telling you that story? Again, I'm just, we could go on and on and on with this, but who decided the scope of her miracle? She did. If she got three jars from neighbors, she got three jars full of oil. If she got 500, see, it was... It, 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 it came down to what she was willing to do, the, the effort she was willing um, to uh, put into these things. So the measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. And more besides will be given to you who hear. Man, so that's why I get so excited about discipleship. I get excited about it for a lot of reasons. But one is when I see a group of people who are willing to um, be more diligent than perhaps they've ever been in their lives to understand the truth and wisdom of God for their lives, for their families, their, their purpose and grace. And we start you know, giving God that time and effort and place in our lives. I know that you are putting yourself in a position for him to work in your lives that, that he's never had uh, opportunity and access quite like he has uh, now in the past. Amen. All right. So let's uh, thank you for letting me make that segue. Let's go now to back to Matthew 13. And we're going to jump in at verse 18. Matthew 13 and 18. 
Let me swap over and say hi to everybody watching online because uh, that whole last segment, I left a verse on the screen. So praise God. <laughs> Amen. All right. Sorry, guys. Matthew, Matthew 13 and, um, and 18. Um, it, uh, it says this. It says, therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. Now, can, can you picture this? I don't know if you've done much farming or gardening or whatever in your life. I was blessed to have grandparents, grandfathers that did. My dad, you know, he still grows tomatoes and, and, and things like that, not on the scope that my uh, uh, Paul Smith, my mother's dad, uh, he had acres, you know. And... Um, and I call it the place where the tractor turns around. You know, that ground gets really compacted. And any seed, when it's planted, that lands over there on that wayside soil, um, it's, it's, it's uh, easy pickings uh, for the birds to come and uh, steal it away. Okay, so that's the... Uh, you, you probably got this already, but let me, <clears throat> let me just keep going here, and then we'll explain in some more things in a moment, okay? But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Verse 23, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Now, let me just, as a, as a side issue, Hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold is more than a hundred times, sixty times, or thirty times. It's it's really more. For those of you who understand math, we're talking about something now that's exponential. See, if I take a piece of paper and I fold it once, okay, it just doubled. But if I fold it again, it just quadrupled. If I fold it again, we just went to 16, are you, are you, and then to 32, and then to 64. And so we're, we're talking about a number that gets really, really big, really, really fast. So this is the concept of 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold. Now, I will sometimes say, and I, don't, I need to be more precise and exact with my words, that's hard for a lot of people to wrap their minds around um, and so if you want to start with 30 times better, 60 times better, 100 times better, but just know that we're talking about some major increase here, okay? Some major uh, produce here. Now, if you haven't figured it out by now, um, the word that, uh, uh, the seed rather, that the sower is planting is the word of God. It is the word of God. And the, the different soil conditions, four soil conditions that are represented are speaking of four different conditions 
of men's and women's hearts. Now, the, when I say the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, incorruptible seed of the Word of God, when um, I was younger, you know, you plant squash in little mounds of dirt. My family called them heels of squash, okay? And for a long time ago, I thought they were talking about like the heel on your foot instead of the little heel. I don't know what I was thinking, but anyway. Uh, I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want to think I was, you know, dumb. But anyway, but I was dumb on that anyway. Um, and so you plant them in heels, if you understand that, little mounds of dirt. And we always, my, my, grand, my dad my grandparents taught me that you put three uh, squash seed in the top of the heel, a little bit under the soil, cover it up, water it, whatever, okay? But you don't leave three plants growing. After the plants sprout, you uh, very carefully extract the weakest one or two and leave the strongest, and that becomes your squash plant. Now, wh why would you plant three seeds if you're just going to get rid of two of them? Because you, from time to time, may get a seed that's a dud, that, that doesn't produce anything. And so they didn't want to miss out on having, uh, you know, a hill of squash that would produce squash. So they would plant three seeds in case one or more of them was not a good seed. You don't have to concern yourself with that when, we come, when it comes to the Word of God because the, the seed of the Word of God is incorruptible. What does that mean? That means it will always produce exactly what it is that God sent it forth out of His mouth to produce in your life and in my life. That's good news, okay? So in farming, there are, you know, two key things, the quality of the seed and the quality of the soil. Obviously, there's timing and water and all that stuff, but I'm just talking about the initial aspect of this. So if the seed is incorruptible and there's nothing wrong with it and never will be anything wrong with it, the varied results from the seed has to be due to the soil condition or in the case of Jesus' parable, the conditions of the heart that that seed is received into. Are you seeing this? Okay. Now, let's not overlook, let's not overlook what is extremely important, and that is the Word of God received into your heart will produce the results in your life that God sent His Word, the seed of His Word, into your life to produce. Okay? And if, if we didn't know these things, it would, it would seem almost like laughable or inconceivable or ridiculous. But what is an oak tree if it's not an acorn that held its ground? Are you, are you seeing this? And so, you know, this, this amazing God who loves us and who created us, he, he puts things inside of seeds and then brings the, the harvest and the increase and the produce and the fruit uh, out of that seed. The Lord said something to me uh, a while back, and I, I feel compelled to say it now. Um, and, and I'll just simplify it this way. He said, don't forget that the fruit is in the tree. The seed is in the fruit, but the tree is in the seed. Think about that for a minute now. That's, that's behold, right? God is showing us something here about how he operates. And so he's wanting to put his seed in your heart and life. We... We live in a digital, mechanical, push-button world, and I'm not, I'm not knocking that, but 
we have to be careful because God's ways are still agricultural. God still is a God of planting a seed in good soil, watering that seed, nurturing it to, to bring forth fruit in your, in your life. Okay? Now, let me say this, okay? <clears throat> I want to I simplify it for you. And as I mentioned already, we could, we could talk two or three classes just from this parable. It's that important, okay? But the Lord gave me a really simple way of, of communicating to people these four soil conditions. This is, this is not by any means the full scope and measure of everything this parable has been given to us to communicate. But on an introductory level as well as a discipleship level, okay, I want you to think in these terms. The first group of people are people who quit before they understood. Quit before they understood. Remember the Bible says that the devil came and stole the word. Why did he steal it? He stole it from them because they didn't understand it. They didn't understand it. And because they didn't understand it, the devil came to steal the word from them. Now, one of the things that you're going to see common denominator in, in, in these different soil types and soil conditions is that the devil is trying to keep the word of God out of your heart. He's trying to keep you from ever being exposed to the Word of God. He's trying to keep you from ever hearing the Word of God, ever experiencing the Word of God. The last thing in the world he ever wants is for the Word of God to produce some result, some experiential result in your life, and you connect the result directly back to the seed of His Word that produced it in your life. Because see, when that starts happening, you start realizing, hey, hey, hey there's something to this, right? Okay. So the devil is trying to keep you and your heart as far away from the Word of God and someone who can help you understand the Word of God as he possibly can. Now, there's actually a group of folks here that maybe go without being stated or pointed out, but I like to point them out because it's important, okay? The devil steals 100% of the Word from you that you never hear. So let's, let's not leave out that, you know, I think last weekend I uh, had a lot going. I, I just watched part of one game, but they, you know, this weekend is supposed to be week one of the college football season. But last weekend, I don't know how many of you, they, they called it week zero. You know, it's like week zero. It's, I mean, like this week, that, I mean, the week counted, the wins and losses counted, whatever, but they call it week zero. That's fine. You know, it's marketing, whatever, television, money. That's fine. I'm glad for it. Don't misunderstand me. But this is like, Soil condition zero. I mean, before you even get to the folks who heard the word and it was stolen from them because they didn't understand it, right? Um, you got the group of folks who slept in that morning. You got the group of folks that, that uh, you know, their favorite TV show was coming on or whatever. And, it was, and, and so Satan stole the word from them because they never heard that word. He steals 100% of the word from you that you never hear, okay? But this first group of folks where, the, you know, the thief comes to steal the word... And he steals word from us when we don't understand it. So when I say the first group are those who quit before they understood, you're not going to understand everything there is to understand about living the life God created you to live you know, in a 10-minute devotion. 
because there's a lot to it. It's, there's some depth to it. There's some substance to it. There's a lot going on here, and it requires some effort. It requires some diligence. It requires uh, an uncommon commitment, right? It, 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 it requires you know, a, a, a willingness on our part to understand the Word of God. There, there are things you know, in, in, the, in the Scriptures, right? As a matter of fact, some of the things that the Lord's been teaching me lately by, by, about hope and, and the importance of hope in our life equation and what hope's really about and for and, and, and these kinds of things, you know, it's like, man, how, do, how have I not seen this in, 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 to, in the degree, if you will, that I'm seeing it now? And so just because you don't understand something, that doesn't mean the devil can steal it from you if you are diligent to understand everything you hear, which means what? Taking notes, asking questions, doing some research, talking to the Lord about it, but not allowing the devil to steal uh, the word from you that, that Father God has you know, worked so hard and other people have worked so hard to get to you. All right? Now, the next group of people, these are the ones that the Bible says they heard the word, received it with gladness, and sprang up quickly. Okay, but then the uh, the sun uh, came out, right, <laughs> and started bearing down on them. And because they had no root in themselves, uh, they they you know quickly wilted and 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 gave up. And so I call this group of folks those who quit before they became established. They quit before they became established. They didn't put down any roots. <clears throat> now. We all know what it's like to put roots down in a, in, in a lifestyle, in a belief system, in a, in, you know, that is not the one that God has for us. And a lot of times we don't, we don't realize we've put roots down in those things because it's, it's just how we were raised. It's, 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 it's the way um, our families did it, our parents did it, what have you. And, you know, we, we wake up at some point in our early 20s or whatever, and, and we've got, you know, we've become established in a, in a, you know, coping all these different aspects of our lives, you know, in, in things that need to be rooted out. They, it, it, needs, it needs to be corrected. And we also need to put some right roots down in the Word of God. And this takes time. Remember what we said about enduring sound doctrine. You know, it, it requires some effort on our parts and it requires some endurance on our part. I'm not trying to remember his his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Um, you're going to wear some yoke. You're going to carry some load in life. OK, you can carry the one the Lord created you to carry or you can carry the one the devil's been trying to beat your brains out with your whole life. But we're going to carry one or the other. Amen. But but remember, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And, and that ought to tell us something, you know, about. You know, how Jesus wants, he's gentle and lowly in heart. He's not a know-it-all. He's not a browbeater. He's not condescending to you. You don't have to say, Jesus, I know this is a dumb question, but I'm, no, ask him. He's not going to, uh, James says this way, he's not going to upbraid you. That, that means he's not going to, you know, you idiot, you don't know that. No, he's not going to have that attitude towards you. That's not who he is, right? So you got the group that, that never heard. Then you got the group that heard, but they didn't understand, which meaning, which meant they didn't stick to it long enough to understand. Then you got the folks who all excited, you know, and and just you know couldn't be more whatever, you know. And I, man, how have I seen this over the years, as a pastor, right? People that 
you know, there was a, you know, I don't misunderstand, and I probably shouldn't, I certainly won't name any names, but you know, there, there was a lady who, who went from sending, literally sending cassette tapes of my sermons to the President of the United States of America to not being willing to drive five minutes to hear one. You know, and so, you know, you receive the word with gladness. She has one lady that came from a whole other country, way, way away from here. And, um, and literally, I mean, God did working in her life, set her free. Um, she spoke with a, with a, a strong accent. And so um, she called me pasta. And that's like, I'm like, pasta? <laughs> Linguini? What are you calling me, woman? No, she, you know, um, pasta, right? And, um, and, you know, she, and she literally said, you know, that, that God brought her from half a world away to a cabinet shop in Hewton, Alabama, to uh, reveal to her the truth that she had looked for her whole life. So, I mean, I literally, I'm quoting things that she said to me, okay? And um, I don't know, three weeks later, um, she's leaving the church because what I'm preaching is wrong. And she literally said, she said to me, she says, if you change what you believe, and I haven't found another place to go already, call me and I'll consider coming back. And I said, Sister, didn't you tell me not too many weeks ago that God sent you from half a world away to this church? Yes, He did, Pastor Mark. I said, well, let me tell you something, Sister. God knew I believed this before He ever tapped you on the shoulder and sent you here. You see, you see what I'm saying? It's like, oh, God made a mistake. He sent me somewhere and somebody believes this. No, I'm, I'm just trying to show you here, okay? So we get really excited about things. We're not just going to be good starters. We're going to be good finishers. Amen? And so those who quit before they became established, it takes some time to put some roots down. Now, what do, what do the roots do for a plant? They anchor it, but roots also bring nutrients up into the plant that strengthen it and enable it to grow and bear fruit and, and all these other things. And so, you know, we have all these beautiful uh, pictures, word pictures in the Old Testament. It'd be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, right? These are speaking of men and women who have put down roots in the Word of God. Now, we see that, and, and let, me, let me point something out to you, praise God. Um, verse 21, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. Remember, enduring sound doctrine. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the Word. Do you see this? When persecution or tribulation arises because of the Word. It's amazing to me how personal people sometimes make Satan's attacks against them. Okay, The, the, the bottom line of it is this. Right, the devil attacks us and tries to the the, the word here and, and this this also let me just let's cut to the chase okay when he's talking about uh, these things arising the the word in the Greek is the word I like to say it it's fun sometimes I just say it driving down the road because I like to it's flipsis okay I don't think we have the the combination of th L in the English language, but it's thlipsis, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. And let me tell you what it means. It means pressure applied from the outside. Okay. So when he's talking about tribulation and persecution arising for the 
word's sake or because of the word. He's talking about external things that are applying pressure to us. Okay? Oppression, suppression, depression, all these, all these press. Think about all these words and how, how um, you know, they conjugate, so to speak, or, or derivatives, I should say, um, in, um, in our English language. So what's going on here? You've, you've received the word. God's beginning to work in your life. And you're so excited about the new things that you're hearing. The devil is going to try desperately to separate that word from your heart. He's trying to apply enough pressure to you to get you to turn loose of it and go back to whatever it is you were doing before you heard it. And so that's what the pressure is about. He applies the pressure because you've received the word and understand enough of it, right, for it to start producing immediate results in your life. And so the devil's like, man, if they ever put roots down in this, I'm going to lose them maybe forever. And so he starts applying pressure because of the word. All right, you still with me now? Okay, so you got those who quit before they understood. You got those who quit before they became established. The next group of people, or condition, heart condition, is we see that there were people who received the word, and they persisted until they understood it. They persisted until they put some roots down in it. And then begin to experience results from the word, fruit from the word in their lives. So did the devil just say, oh, well, lost that one. Let me go mess with somebody else. No. Now we see that he shifts to a different strategy. And the different strategy now is because you've got roots down in the word and the word's producing results in your life and and him getting you to turn loose of it and back away from it. So what is he going to do? He's going to try to plant other things in your life to grow up around the Word of God and choke it out. Anybody ever heard the expression, a slow fade? I've told you this before, I'm going to tell you again. Your, your enemy is a strategist. Okay, He's a schemer. And he's playing chess. He's not playing checkers. And if he can't, if he can't play the short game with you, he does not mind playing the long game. Now, in Matthew's account, we see that those uh, two of those things are the deceitfulness of uh, riches and the cares of this world, or the cares of this life. Cares of this world, cares of life, deceitfulness of riches. Mark's gospel includes a third, and that third one is the kind of almost like a general category, desires for other things. Desires for other things. So notice now what the devil's going to try to do. The Word of God, you've, put, you've persisted to, you've understood it. You've got some roots now established in it. It's, it's nourishing things in your life. It's producing fruit and good things in your life. So what's the devil going to try to do? He's going to try to gradually plant other things, thorns, right? Other things in your heart over time. And so notice now, cares of this life. It's exactly what you think it is. Worries, troubles, concerns, things that we focus on and dwell on that, that trouble us and that, that, that bother us and concern us and worry us. Okay? The other thing, the deceitfulness of riches. Do you have any idea how many people I have seen over the years that have cut short what God was trying to do in their lives for money? Got to go make some money. Got to go earn some money. I'd love to be there, Pastor Mark, but I got to go. And, and listen, I, I'm not judging anybody. I'm throwing rocks at anybody, right? But it's deceitful 
Why is it deceitful? It's deceitful because, you know, we act like we've got to choose either put God, you know, have God in our lives or have money in our lives. We can't have both. My friend, Jesus said, seek him first and his ways of being and doing right. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness and everything else and all the things that he's talking about adding to you are all the things that you need and desire in life. So it's, it's, it's not, you know, the devil tries to present it to us as, you know, we can either have God or we can have money, but we can't have both. And my friend, he's lying to you because the blessing of the Lord in a, in a man or woman's life will not only make you wealthy, but it'll make you wealthy without any sorrow to go along with it. Again, scriptures, what the Bible says. Okay. Now, this next group of folks, are you ready for this one? These are those who quit and never knew they did. These are the ones who quit and they never knew that they quit. It, it just was a gradual thing in, in their lives. And, um, you know, I, uh, I've been sharing my, uh, my story with our, with our youth department. Um, uh, my son, John Mark, was our youth pastor, and he married and moved to Nashville. And, and um, so I'm like, Lord, you know, who, who would you have lead our youth? And, and uh, I've done it before. And it just felt like he was prompting me to do it. I, won't, I don't think it's forever, but Pam and I, it's a season for us right now. And, and, um, and so I've been sharing my story with them. And I've, I've never done that before, you know, at least like from start to finish. But we started it at youth camp and still been kind of sprinkling some in. And part of that is because I, I, wanted, I want them to know... Um, not just that God is real, but I want him to know about the miracles that God has performed and, and worked in, in my life and Pam's life. And, and anyway, so, but one part of the story, and it was a very difficult, challenging time in our lives. Um, and see, this is what we have to watch for is that the Lord had, you know, really blessed us with a, a wholesale business opportunity in, in, uh, of all places, Nashville. And, um, and so as our business was growing here, you know, the wholesale opportunity was we, we had a gentleman there who um, would, would sell uh, cabinet uh, packages, re remodeling, no new construction there, and had installers there, subcontractor installers, and um, we would provide the, all the materials. Well, as that took off there, and the business here, uh, they were both growing, and um, it turned out that it, it got to looking like the only day that I had to make the Nashville delivery was on Sunday. Now you got to understand, I was in church nine months before I was born. I mean, I, you know, we 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 went to church. That was just, I mean, that was just that's who we were, and, and so it felt so odd. I never forget the first Sunday I did it. I've but see, you know, I started telling myself, well, you know, I mean, I, th these people are counting on me. I got to do this. You know, this is the only day. This is the only time I got to do this. You know, blah blah blah. You know, and um, I can take you. It's exit 65 off of I-65 there in Franklin, Tennessee. Um, there's a, a service station there. Um, I think it's a shell station. Or at least it was in those days. And I had I had made the delivery at the warehouse, and I was fueling up the truck, fixing to get back on the interstate. And I looked at my watch, and you know. 
It's about everybody I knew and loved was in church, you know, as far as family and all that's concerned. And, um, man, the Holy Spirit was dealing with me. And I told him, I said, I said, listen, because deceitfulness of riches, you see how this, it it, it was happening to me. I mean, I'm sitting here, I've been teaching and preaching these things, but this was before Heritage began, and um, we weren't in ministry at, at this point. Again, we had been in ministry, but we weren't anymore. And I was like, man, I'm preaching and teaching these things. And I'm just sitting here watching it happen to me in my, in my own life, you know. And, and the devil will make you think that, we, you know, it's the only time you got to do it. And God's blessed you with this opportunity. And, and um, you know, I've seen folks that, you know, as God blessed them more and more financially, you know, next thing you know, they're so blessed they got a lake house. And the next thing you know, they're at the lake house on Sunday, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And um, just, God just blessed them right out of church. Not really. They made those choices, right? So do you, see, you know, do you see how as these things grow and God being able to trust you with these things? And so, so you know, I'm like, Lord, you bless me with this opportunity. It's very you know, financially lucrative you know, for, for me and my family. Um, but if I can't get it done six days a week, then I'll give it up. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I had to draw that line, so to speak in the sand, standing there putting diesel fuel in that uh, cabinet truck that Sunday morning. Um, because it's, it's so deceptive that, you know, we, we're not careful. We'll wake up one day and it's like, man, I remember when God used to be the most important thing in my life and I hadn't even thought about him in three weeks, you know. Don't, please don't let that happen, all right. So I think you probably figured it out, the fourth group of people. Uh, those are those who never quit. Those who never quit. That doesn't mean they understood everything that came out of Jesus' mouth when they first heard it. But they just didn't quit. They didn't quit when they didn't understand. They didn't quit um, before they became established. And they had every opportunity to go after money and cares of this life and uh, desires for other things, right, uh, that other people had. They just refused uh, to allow those things to choke the word out of their lives. Are you with me? So for some reason I'm talking about some of my heroes in the faith. One of my heroes in the faith is, a, is Brother Kenneth Copeland. And, you know, he, um, God gives people assignments. And I, I, sometimes I don't think folks realize that. Um, but one of the uh, assignments and mandates that God placed upon Brother Kenneth and Sister Gloria Copeland was to teach the body of Christ, among other things. But one of the main mandates was to teach the body of Christ how to prosper God's way. And, and so because of that, they get, they, people persecute them, you know, make fun of them, you know, blah, name it, claim it, all this other stuff. And again, that's the devil, right? Because if you think somebody is, is a fraud or is, is just a, a con man or whatever, then the devil's going to steal 100% of the word that that man or woman has been put on this, lot, on this earth to teach you and for you to learn from and grow in in your life. And um, one of the more transparent ministries that I have ever, uh, you know, experienced as far as financial things and, and so forth and so on. Um, just in television alone, up until I think it was July 31st of last year, um, $700 million um, that they have invested in preaching the gospel through television all over the world. And I've, I've used, I've, I have referred to him in the past as, as just a gospel clearinghouse because of, of the ministries that he supports and underwrites. Um, ministries here in Alabama, if you've ever heard of Canaan Land, uh, uh, down uh, near Prattville and Otagaville, 
Um, that's a ministry that Kenneth Copeland Ministries uh, supports, you know, in a major way financially. And he's go on and on. And so, but a lot of people see him, you know, flying all over the world in a in a jet airplane preaching the gospel. Um, but they rarely, if ever, see him in the early days when he was 80 to 100 pounds overweight, smoking cigarettes. He talks about when he would, you know, get all fired up in faith and throw the cigarettes out the window. Only, you know, a couple of hours later, crawling around on his hands and knees in the median, looking for that pack of cigarettes because not only, not only did he want the cigarettes, he didn't have any money to go buy any more. And a lot of folks don't understand, you know, where he came from. And, and if you look at it in light of this simple parable, he had every opportunity to quit that, that, that other people have had. He just refused to take them. And I'm not saying that God's called you to be uh, the next Kenneth Copeland. Maybe he has. Okay? But I guarantee you he's called you to be who he created you to be and to fulfill the purpose and grace that he gave to you in Christ Jesus before time began. And so we see that you know, the enemy of our souls is you know, this constant effort to try to get us to quit, to pull back from the Word of God, but thankfully we're not going to do that. Amen? 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 I'm just, we, you know, there's something about just making up your mind. Um, one, of the, one of the definitions of, um, of diligence is to continue after a brief pause. <laughs> right? Continue after a brief pause. And so I had a brief pause. I had two Sundays, not back-to-back, I don't think it was. It may have been back-to-back, um, you know, where I, my church attendance paused for the first time in, in 30 years of life. But I, you know what? No, not this, this pause is not going to continue. Amen. All right, 626, can you believe it? What in the world? Am I the only one that this class is going by very fast for? Y'all got about 15 more minutes? Can we hang in here? I can tell you straight up, I titled this sermon wrong tonight. But I, I spent a little more time in Matthew 13 than I normally do, but I felt, I felt compelled last week to do it, and the Holy Spirit confirmed it again uh, this week. Um, so, uh, do you see, when we, we said all that to say a lot of things, obviously, but, but one of the main points I want to take away here is that discipleship is an attitude. And among other things, it's an uncommon commitment, but it's, it's an attitude that says... I'm not, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. Um, this is worth uh, my uh, highest uh, priority and my best effort. And if I'm going to go after anything in life, I'm going to go after um, what God has put me on this earth to be, to have, and to do. Amen. Now, when we talk about attitude... I want to introduce you to a word that is um, very similar to attitude, and there's a connection to attitude, and that's the word aptitude. So I put it up on the screen, and if I over-enunciated aptitude, I was doing that deliberately, but sometimes I punch it a little too hard. So you've got A-P-T-itude, right? <laughs> and then you've got A-T-T-itude, attitude and aptitude. Now, what's the difference here? Do you remember in school when we were given aptitude tests? Okay. And an and aptitude test is a test designed to reveal 
your inherent ability. I used to say it this way to, to my kids because they took school, you know, very seriously and uh, my nephew Daniel, probably more serious than any of them, and um, he would get stressed out over it and I'm like, Daniel, this is more of a test of your teachers than it is of you. They're wanting to know what you know. They're wanting to see how far you have progressed and, and so it's an aptitude test because it's designed to reveal inherent ability. So when we talk about aptitude, we're talking about the inherent ability. When we talk about attitude, we're talking about a mindset or, or a focus or, or our perspective. And, and when I say perspective, I'm talking about the, the way we look at something um, and the direction that we're headed in relationship to a fixed object. And so, you know, sometimes when I teach on leadership, I talk about the difference between the aptitude to be a leader versus the attitude to be a leader. Everyone has the inherent ability to servant lead in some area, but not everyone has the attitude necessary to lead, okay? Same is true with discipleship. Every born-again believer has the aptitude, the inherent ability to be a disciple, but not everyone has the attitude. Let's go back to to our school days, uh, probably no one in this room, but maybe you know somebody who had the aptitude to be a straight A student, but scraped by with B's and C's and an occasional D, okay? What is that? Well, you had the ability, you could have made straight A's. You, you could have given the valedictorian of your class a run for his or her money, but instead you, you struggling just to pass, not because you didn't have the aptitude but because you lacked the attitude necessary to stay up late and to do the assignments and to study for the exams and, and so forth and so on. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Okay. So this is a, a really, I think, good way for us to understand discipleship is an attitude. When we see that God unlocked the understanding of some but not others, it's not because he wasn't being fair to the others, but he recognized an attitude that went along with the aptitude, all right? Now, the word repent is a Greek compound word that transliterated is metanous. Now, I put a space in between them on the slide, but it's actually all one word together, meta and nous, metanous. And this word literally means a new condition of mind, a new condition of mind. Without um, some of the normal buildup and fanfare, do you, do you realize what an amazing milestone in the history of mankind it was when God himself, the eternal uncreated son of God himself, became a man and dwelt among us and then opened his mouth and began to speak as a, as a human being full of God's spirit here on the earth, saying only to us what his Father God told him to say. There's no exaggerating the importance of his words. There's no exaggerating the, the value of, of, of what it is that he came to teach us. And with that said, what about then the very first sermon what about the first thing 
that he said. And we know that was the Sermon on the Mount. And we know that there was a rhythm to that sermon like there is to, I guess, a lot of good sermons. I have a dream, I have a dream, I have a dream. There's a rhythm there. The, the rhythm of Jesus' first sermon was, you have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. But before he got to any of that, the first point of Jesus' first sermon on planet Earth was attitude. He talked about attitude. What does that tell us about attitude? What does it tell us that the greatest prophet born of a woman, John the Baptist, the eternal Son of God on earth as a man, Jesus the Messiah, the 12 holy apostles and the first 70 missionaries all preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, he's saying that you, you can't keep looking at these things the way you've always looked at them. You, you, can't, you can't keep the same mindset that you've always had and receive what it is that Jesus came to do for you. If, if you're going to, to benefit from what he's come to change and accomplish, you're going to have to change your perspective, your attitude, the way you think about things, the way you look at things. And so that's the concept of, of repent. We hear repent, if you were raised in church, especially you know denominational churches and things of this nature, if you're like me, repent meant stop sinning. That, if, if you were to ask me what does it mean to repent, I would have said repent means to stop doing something you shouldn't be doing and, 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 turn, and turn away from it and go the other direction. Well, that's certainly one version of what it means to repent. But remember, there's always underlying thinking that's driving the outward behavior. And so when Jesus said repent, certainly he was calling us to stop doing things that we had no business doing that were sinful. But he's saying that if, if that's ever going to, you know, make a long-term lifetime you know, difference in your life, the underlying thinking that drives this is going to have to change as well. Now, um, <clears throat> let's go back to, I mentioned Brother Keith Moore um, a moment ago. And... He was watching a, he didn't say the name, but I, if I remember the interview correctly, it was um, an interview from Larry King. If you remember Larry King, he was, used to be the king of the, of the you know, primetime interview. Um, and he was interviewing a, uh, a well-known, nationally known uh, pastor, preacher. And, um, and it was one of those, and you know how they do, they they try to set those men and women up to ask them hard questions and embarrass them in front of people and all that sort of stuff. And so he was, he asked him, he said, um, didn't Jesus preach love and acceptance? And the television pastor said, well, you know, kind of put him on the hot seat. You know how it goes. And so he said, well, yeah, you know, he, he did. And, and Brother Keith is a friend of this man. He was sitting there watching that. And Brother Keith said, as clear as a bell, the Lord spoke to him in his spirit and said, no, I didn't. I did not preach love and acceptance. And Keith's like, wow, you didn't. Well, well what did you preach, Lord? He said, I preached love and repentance. Do You see the difference there, right? Not love and acceptance, but love and repentance. Now, 
I've heard a lot of people say it over the years. This didn't originate with me, but this is my version of it, okay? Jesus loves you, and he loves you too much to leave you in the condition that he found, that he found you in, okay? And so this idea, and notice how subtle that is, maybe if, if you, and I'm not trying to set anybody up in here, but if I was to ask you before I said this, did Jesus preach love and acceptance? Most people would just automatically say yes, okay? Um, how many of you know that Jesus did not preach tolerance? You see what I'm saying? There's, it's, it's a, there's, a, there's a, a, lot of, a lot of things that are buzzwords of today, and they've been buzzwords of other generations, that you know, on the surface seems like we should just weave these right on in to, to, to Bible preaching on a Sunday morning. But the reality of it is Jesus didn't preach love and acceptance. He, he preached love and repentance. In other, in other words, he came to help us change and he knew that if our behavior was ever going to change, the underlying thinking that drove that behavior was going to have to change as well. Now, let's do this. Praise God. Um, Colossians 3 and 2. Colossians 3 and 2. And um, I'll tell you what we'll do. Praise God. We'll finish right here uh, for tonight. Colossians 3 and 2. Here we're told to set our mind on things above, not on things on the earth. To set our mind. We talk about an attitude and an attitude being a mindset, right? A mindset, you know, one, one way you can think of a mindset is it's a whole collection or set you know, you got the you got the full set of you know, um, uh, you know. My parents have collected things for years, you know, and and um, yes, you got the full set of this dish or what or what have you, you know. Um, so we talk about a mindset. We could talk about a whole collection of things that are re- interrelated as far as a, as our attitudes and and beliefs and things of this nature are concerned, but. Also, it's the, it's the concept of it being like set or, or established. And our, our, our minds become so set that our thoughts become automatic. Amen or oh me, right? And, and so Jesus came to challenge that. You know, that, that's when he said, you've heard it said, but I say. He was, he was challenging the mindset that, that people had and, and calling them, to look at things from a different perspective. And so Colossians 3.2 instructs us to set our minds on things above. The other thing about this word set here is it's talking about a fixed position, but he's also talking about a deliberate intentional act. Come on now, you're seeing this. A deliberate intentional act where we deliberately set our minds not on the things of this earth. See, that's back to the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. The devil's wanting you to focus on that, to meditate on that. What is worry if it's not meditating on the wrong things, right? He's saying that we can shift to a higher plane and that we can set our mind on things above. And the the more we do that, the more we discipline ourselves to do that, discipline, disciple, right? The more... We, the easier it becomes, the, 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 the more that becomes our go-to, our, our, 
our coping mechanism, if you will, is to not focus on and magnify and complain about the problem, but to focus on and magnify and exalt the answer uh, that God has provided, setting our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. That's, that's the attitude of discipleship. Uh, a disciple says, you know, there's more that God has for me, and I'm not going to be distracted and pulled away from those things, but I'm going to stay focused uh, on what it is that Father has for me in this season of my life and what He's teaching me. And if I don't understand it, I'm going to hang in there till I do. Amen. And it's that kind of attitude that enables God to give you more and more and more. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of, of this group. Lord, three classes in now. Um, Lord, I thank you that um, we're not losing momentum. We're gaining it. Lord, we're not, we're not losing participants in the class. We're gaining more and more, and we'll continue to do that, Father. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives and how you're equipping us to be more effective in what you've called us to do for others. To your glory, Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for being with us tonight. You have a great rest of your evening.